Hello, Tile friends. Welcome back to another episode of Tile Money, the podcast where I discuss the business of tile installation. Today, I've got another awesome interview for you, and I was able to get with Rod Catwick, and I was really excited because recently he was featured, I believe I believe it was uh, this month, February 19, that's right, uh, featured as the uh, Tile Letter member spotlight. So went into his history a little bit. So we dive into it a little bit further. I know you're going to enjoy it. He's got some great stories and a great look outlook on life. So he, he's a tile setter from about the age of 16. He started working with it and he's done a lot of really cool things, including building a, building up a really great um, larger scale business that um, catered to uh, custom homes, large high-end homes. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. He also, of course, uh, is an innovator. He has several in- inventions that tile contractors can find useful for their business today. So if you're into that sort of thing, you're going to really enjoy this. So before we get into it, though, I wanted to just share the tip of the day. Today's tip of the day is brought to you by Kato Jung. And he says, uh, we were talking about working for, uh, you know, subbing, subbing tile work for general contractors. And his advice was, most contractors are willing to pay for good service. I have a contractor we have been installing for over 20 years now. He told me that my company takes the worry out of the tile work and we are worth every penny. And we are by far not the cheapest. It's the service they pay for. Lots of guys can do good work, but forget about the service. So what a great statement by Cato there. I really appreciate it, Cato. Thank you for your uh, participation in my Facebook group, Tile Money. And that's where that came from. And uh, thank you for your support. Uh, You've been a fan of Tile Money from the beginning. I've enjoyed our conversations. And thank you for your donation on my GoFundMe account. It's uh, it's giving me the... the, the, um, the boost I need to continue to forge forward with this podcast. So thank everybody who's donated to the GoFundMe account I set forth. It's uh, allowed me to get some new equipment and allowed me to continue forward. Okay, so before we get into the uh, interview with Rod here, I just thought I should do a a fair warning here. I, I thought it was my responsibility to warn you. I know a lot of times I like to listen to podcasts with my, with my kid in the room or in the car. So if that's the case with you, uh, this podcast episode does have some adult language in it. And I just wanted to warn you there. Uh, maybe you would want to pause this and listen to it at a later date and not in front of your uh, kids. It might not be appropriate. So there's your warning. And other than that, it's an awesome episode. I really enjoyed speaking with Rod and look forward to our continued friendship. So thank you again, Rod. And I look forward to talking to you uh, soon. Hello, Tile friends. Welcome back to another episode of Tile Money, the podcast where I, Luke Miller, discuss the business of tile installation. Today, I'm, I'm super excited to be sitting down with Rod Catwick. And Rod is a tile contractor for um, out of Utah, and he also has some innovative products, Rod Cat foam pans, as well as a couple other things. So we're going to talk about that. And Rod was uh, recently uh, mentioned in the member spotlight in the February 2019 tile letter. So a lot of what we'll talk about will touch on that, but I encourage you all to go uh, check out tileletter.com. If you don't know what tile letter is, it is uh, put on by the National Tile Contractors Association, and it's a great a great letter. So we'll talk a little bit about that. How are you today, Rod? 
I'm good, Luke. Thanks for um, offering this or asking me to, to do a podcast with you. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm happy. I'm excited that, uh, that you, you were willing to, and I'm a fan of yours. Um, I just installed two of your pans, so that went oh, well. Nice. nice. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, it was a solution to a problem, so that's good. So before we get into the meat of your history of tile, uh, what's something personal you can tell us about yourself? Do you have any hobbies or unique uh, things that nobody knows about? You know, probably the people that, that follow me the most know that, you know, I'm, I'm always making something, you know. So a hobby for me is going out to my, my shop here in the backyard and and doing something you know so um you know having the cnc foam cutter you know 20 steps from my back door you know i can go in and whether i'm making you know a, a piece of furniture for my kids to use for a school play or um you know a, a different piece or an idea you know it, it it's it's sad to say that that's my hobby at this time but um well, you know it, it it is i'm um i'm working on you know, getting back into, you know, riding my four wheelers, camping, skiing, you know, so I'm kind of, kind of taking more steps into um, not being so one dimensional and being, you know, the tile crazed innovator, like I had identified myself as for, you know, the last few years. And, you know, especially with social media, where no matter what time of day, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, you're working on something cool, or somebody has something, you know, you're just constantly, you know, tuned into these people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, can, it can be an issue for us tile contractors. Well, it reminds me though of a saying and I'll probably butcher it up a little bit here, but, uh, uh, find something, you know, that you enjoy doing that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. 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 And then, and that's it, you know? So, um, you know, that's, you know, for, for me creating something, um, always, you know, helps me, um, get in the moment, you know, if I'm just, you know, sitting on the couch, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about something and building monsters and, you know, especially us as tile contractors, you know, there's so many um, different things that come up, you know, where you're, you know, thinking about, you know, oh my gosh, did that grout color right? Is that shade good? Do I have enough tile? So being able to turn that off, you know, is, is something that, um, that making stuff does for me. You know, and now I'm practicing just turning everything off and practicing stillness. So, um, you know, I don't know where we'll get on this this podcast as far as I've told you before. You know, tile money to me is an oxymoron. You know, it's, it's like Granny Rapid. Right. So, you know, I've I, I've loved tile, you know, and I'll kind of get into my story if you don't mind as far as, For you know, sure. what, got, what got me into it, you know, and I am, um, you know, ever since I can remember, you know, three, four, five years old, I, I grew up in my parents' custom cabinet shop. Right. So, you know, at the young age, I remember my dad, you know, flipping all the breakers and me and my brother would, you know, climb inside these giant machines and, you know, pull out sawdust and sweep and vacuum and clean the shop and save the scraps and build shit, you know? And so, um, you know, I was always, always building and, and making stuff, you know? And um, when I was 15, I was, you know, the size I am now, a little bit stronger, but I was actually kind of the foreman of the back of my dad's shop, you know, and I would cut um, on the panel saw, I would cut um, boxes all day long and assemble them and, you know, just looked forward to the day when I would 
jump into my parents' cabinet company and, you know, be an, an owner operator, whatever it was, you know, but, but part of that. And, and that's, that's all I knew. And all, all me and my siblings knew. Yeah. And, um, at, at the, the, so my sophomore year, my parents sold their cabinet shop. Oh, they did. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, they sold their cabinet shop and they, told me, by the way, you can't work here anymore. Um, you're not old enough, you know, the insurance and all of that. And wow. you know, I, I remember at 15 years old, you know, thinking, oh my God, I've wasted, you know, and, um, you know, it was, a, it gave me a little bit of anxiety actually, you know, of, of, of what I was going to do. And, um, I, I had a, a high school friend that had a, um, he had seven older brothers, you know, so he was the youngest of eight boys and his father was a tile contractor and all eight brothers had their own tile companies. Really? So eight, eight separate companies or something? Yeah, yeah eight separate companies. Okay. And, um, and when, when the dad had a job, which was only a couple times a year, Okay. Every every son, their helpers, everybody would go and and do this job, and um, you know you can imagine going into something with seven, eight, nine crews, and you know I mean it was like forty thousand feet of tile in these dairies that we would do, wow. and it was a weekend project, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. so, so I, I kind of I kind of learned from these brothers and, and their mentality. But, um, you know, the, the day I, I did it the first day and I knew, you know, we're going to go set tile in this house. And when the brother picked us up and there was a cement mixer on the back of the truck, you know, it was like, what in the hell is this thing, you know? And um, we backed in and, you know, started carrying in the lath. And I'm pretty sure I got cut that first day by carrying in the metal lath. Hard to believe, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we, um, we started mixing mud, you know, in the mixer. And, and that was the days when it was, you know, we would bring buckets of sand, you know. So it was sand, cement, and lime. And, and we'd make, make this mud. There was frogs in our mud from the sand, you know, from the sand pile. And. Um, they started floating these walls, you know, and it was like, this is flipping wild. These guys are just carrying all this cement, this mud into this house and putting it on these walls, you know, and it, it didn't make any sense to me at all, you know, and it's something I would have never imagined what was behind the tile, you know, and, and I had been in construction, you know, but mostly in the cabinet shop. Maybe had I been, you know, more out on the installs, I would have, you know, seen these guys getting mud all over our shit. But <laughs> any, anyways, um, you know, I, I knew from that day, day one, that that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. You know, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't ask how much money they made. I knew they did all right. You know, the, the dad had a, a, a nice house. Brothers had nice trucks. Everybody was good. But I just, I really liked it, you know, I really liked how, how tile went up, you know, and, and it wasn't even fancy in, in, in those jobs or in that time. It was white or almond four and a quarter, you know, and once in a while you'd turn one at a 45 degree angle and run a stripe, you know, but um, it was, it was something I really, really liked from the first time I saw it. Yeah. That's really a cool, that's really a cool start to uh, the tile industry. And I really, I like how you said from day one, I knew that that would be my career. That's pretty cool. 
Um, I know, let's fast forward here. I know then you went out to California and worked with a cousin or a relative. Yep, yep so I did. So, um, you know, I was a couple years with, with these brothers, you know, and that was mostly um, track houses that we were doing. And um, they were doing a, a mall. I was 17 years old, knew everything. So I had moved out from my, my house. My parents always supported, um, my, my dad is a, you know, grew up with, with immigrant parents, you know, a grand, or his dad was from Holland, my grandpa and then grandma from Switzerland. And her, um, her dad was the cabinet guy, you know, old school, went to Germany, you know, mastered it. And um, so my dad always kind of let us as kids know that, you know, 16 years old, you should know if you're going to go on to college, you know, if you're that kind of person, or if you want to go into the trades, you know. And so um, what was happening is my, my friends had, um, were a couple years older than me and they were graduating and they were working tile full time. And they were making more money than I was able to make just working part time. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, I dropped out, went to night school, did that. But then, so, so back to, to getting me to California. So um, I, I got to work when I was 17, I had to move out and I started working nights tiling a mall. They were doing a local mall here in Utah. So I'd work with the, the brothers in the day and then doing the mall at night. And there, all I did is grout it, char black grout, 80,000 square feet for like six months, dude. I mean, I was just, yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would bring my friends in, you know, as long as I could keep up on the grouting, these guys would let me set tile also. So there was, you know, public restrooms, there was the um, partition walls in between each one of the um, restaurants in the food court. And that's where I really got to start setting tile, you know, and then I moved up to like five bucks an hour, you know, nice. being tile set. <laughs> so, so that company, we went from the mall to a, a house in Lake Tahoe up in Incline Village. And um, that was my, my first taste of these starter castles, you know, just these, these giant custom homes, you know, and it was right on Lake Tahoe. And we did the whole exterior of this house in a, in a travertine. And um, so I was, you know, 17, 18 years old um, and Utah was slow and my parents were, hey, you know, your cousin's got a tile company just outside of San Francisco. You should just, you know, go west instead of east next time you leave that job. Yeah. And so I had called my cousin and um, I was I was 18. He was 28 and he was he was doing really well, had seven or eight crews, um, union tile contractor in Northern California doing just giant houses. Yeah. And he was really cocky. Yeah. And I, I called him and I'm like, Hey, um, it's your cousin. I'm a tile setter. I want to move to California, you know? And he's like, well, how much do you make an hour? I'm like 10 bucks an hour. And he's like, oh, God, there's, there's no tile setters in Utah. There, you know, I'll give you seven bucks an hour, but you can live at my house free. You know? So, um, so he, he was single at the time and had my nephew who was eight years old living with him. So I moved down to Northern California, and I didn't realize at the time that I had moved in to a really nice area. You know, I was used to... In Utah, um, a commute in Utah at the time to go to work was 15, 20 minutes. That was your commute. You know, you had rush hour traffic, five or six miles of it, whatever. But, you know, I had this Utah mentality 
moved to Northern California and it was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, we wake up in the morning, drive 15 minutes to these big houses, go through the gate, do your work, go back home. And some of the guys that worked for my cousin would talk about their commute, you know, and it's like, what is this commute that you're talking about? And they're like, dude, if we don't leave our house by like 545, every 15 minutes is another 40 minutes to our commute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And so, you know, learning tile from my cousin and, and from, you know, um, 19 years old, let's say to 21, those two years, you know, I had gotten married, you know, had a kid and had to find my own place to live, which was 30, 40, 50 miles away. Welcome to the world of the commute, man. And you, I mean, you have a commute, don't you, where you're at? Not where I'm at. Well, well, miles, but not traffic. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's so crazy, you know. So I, I had... You know, everything that I, I loved about California, you know, moving there and, and the big houses and, and just just the vibe and, and the quality and, and craftsmanship of, of the trade was so awesome. But then to um, have that new wife and that new baby and a starter home was 300 grand. And my, parent, my parents were here in Salt Lake buying houses for 40,000 for rentals, you know. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I think we better move back to Utah, you know. And I, I dreaded it um, because I had only envisioned that mall or those tract houses. You know, I didn't, I didn't, didn't know too much was going on. So I, I got to Utah. Um, my parents had bought a house, and I, um, we gutted it and tiled it, you know, and I went, all California, dude. I mean, the tile and sink with all the little horse teeth around it, you know, and just everything we were known for, you know, mudded everything. And um, a tile guy lived up the street, you know, and I'd see his truck pass once in a while. And I, I knew him, you know, from, he was a high school friend of my brother's. And so I called him one day and I'm like, hey, I moved back here to Utah and um, I'm ready to start working for you, you know. He's like, who says I'm hiring, you know? And I'm like, well, you probably should fire someone then. You're going to want to hire me, you know? And <laughs> he, came, he came to the house and saw, you know, all the, the mud work that I was so proud of and stuff, you know? And he's like, all right, um, you know, it's cool. We get, got a job, you know, or whatever. And um, we, we started going up to Park City. And, and at this time, you know, I guess this was about probably 19... 90, 91, 92, and they just started making these new developments up in the ski resorts, and they were these ski in, ski out houses, you know, have, you know, the tunnels and the bridges and the ski runs and, um, you know, just big, big money, and it, it wasn't people from Utah that were building up there, it was, you know, people from California, from New York, Chicago, you know, it was second homes, you know. Yeah. And um, so I got up there and um, I, I kind of, th that guy had, had fizzled, but there was another bigger house going on up there. And I got in with the company that was doing that bigger house. And um, day one of that house, the contractor came up to me and he's like, all right, what the hell's the story here? What's going on with you? Where did you come from? And I had my helper and it freaks me out when I look at you because my helper looked exactly like you. Really? <laughs> I had my helper from California move here with me. Yeah. And um, so 
we were in that rhythm. You know what I mean? We had, um, we had, you know how fast things go in California. You know, I mean, you're floating two tubs, vanities set, you know, all that. So, so we had that, you know, and mind you, I was 22 years old. So you're just, you know, wanting to just conquer the yeah. world. And um, so, you know, I told the contractor, hey, I just um, moved here from California, you know, and um, he called the boss and he's like, hey, I only want these guys to come up here. You know, they can move through this house quick enough. And um, and so we took we kind of took that house and the owner of that house, um, he had put out all these fires in Kuwait, Kuwaiti oil fires, you know. So um, because of him, he brought in his buddy from Texas that was like the ceo of, of dr pepper and that guy came and he's like i want one of these here log homes out in the middle of nowhere in texas you know and hired that contractor and the company i was working for said you know if you want to follow him you know it was two years worth of tile work they're like if you want to follow him go ahead and as long as you're licensed and and you know doing everything legal you know yeah. we would we're fine so that's Kind of my first job as as Catwick Tiles, um, you know, I went to Texas for two years and lived out in the middle of nowhere, dude, okay. in in a tent trailer in a log Hummer garage really? while everybody else was in like double whites. So there was like twenty two guys on this whole project for two years building this. So that was that was kind of that's kind of what elevated me to you know, what my tile company did, you know, or whatever. So I just went from those kind of homes and I just always kind of stayed up at that level. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So you were, so you were in Texas for two years and then you, you ended up back in Utah, right? After that. Yeah. yeah back, got, in, back in Utah. I know you got your license at about 23, I, I believe the article said. Yeah. Yeah. So take us take us through that stage of of getting your license. You know, you're back in Utah. It sounds like, you know, maybe you met some some good people and had you know had a couple nice homes under your belt already. Right. You know, a lot of guys wonder like how to get a start, and you've already. I mean, what a great story! I really enjoyed it, and I know everybody else has too. Um, so now take us through that transition of you know, uh, of all the you know, the, the heartache and, and also the positive things of starting. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so Texas, <laughs> Texas kept me in control because I would go down there for 16 days and fly oh, home for five. You oh, know? Okay. With that contractor, you know, they knew the next one that was coming up or whatever, you know, and, and had I have just been content with myself and my helper at the time, and just focused with that one particular contractor, you know, I could have, I, that, that's where if I could go back, you know, that would probably be the place where maybe scaling at, um, at this level, it's very hard, you know. So now I got back to Utah, um, the contractors went two ways. One did a house in, in for um, Al Unser Jr., the other one Kiefer Sutherland, and it was, you know, either, we, are you gonna go to, um, Montana or to Mac New Mexico, you know, okay. now I got a new family. I'll stay in Utah, you know, and so I, I started hitting up these other tile contract or these other builder builders and um, Because of the reputation I had for the work I was doing and what was getting ordered the tile companies were referring me a lot also okay. and What I I failed to do was to learn how to say no 
you know, so I would commit to a job, you know, and hire a couple more guys, you know, and, um, you know, I got us up to about a five man band, you know, a couple of the guys that worked in um, Texas with me that were Finnish carpenters, they joined forces with me and, and probably many of you tile guys know, um, if, if you're going to get somebody to start tile with you, uh, um, a Finnish carpenter is a really good guy because they they know plumb level, square, miters, stuff like that. So so these Finnish carpenters turned out to be really good tile guys, you know, and um, and again, it was, you know, old school, you know, floating. So they all learned to float. We got really good. We got really efficient, but then we got more work. You know, so, um, you know, it's like, okay, I've got these two contractors here. Now this other guy got us in on this. And so you start building this monster, you know, and, um, and so, so now I'm, say I'm 26, 27 years old, you know, going through this and, um, you know, I, I get more guys, you know, I, I all of a sudden got now dude with a 38,000 square foot house that just the entry alone was 5,000 square feet of 36 by 36 Cremamar fill. You know, you could, the doors were from a castle and you could open those doors and drive our trucks inside and turn around in the entry of this house. Wow. And um, it got like completely overwhelming, you know, because I had that house plus two or three other ones before long, you know. To really develop a, a relationship that goes beyond what you can develop on Facebook or Instagram right. or, or the phone or text message. You get beyond a certain layer where now yeah. you're sharing things with each other. Yeah. Cause there's something to another. sitting down and talking mm -hmm. to someone that then, then from afar, you do feel like you can just, yeah. Hey, you know, ask a question or something. Yeah. Whereas if you just meet on social media, it doesn't always yeah. feel like you can get personal with someone. And, and one thing I noticed too is, um, is pretty much everybody that I talked to who who fit that that bill, who fit that description that mm -hmm. we just said, uh, was an NTCA member mm. um, and involved in the NTCA, or, or or just a member, you know. And so I think that's one of the values of becoming a member. Is all of a sudden now you have access to these people, and and you know. So so there's our daughter. But <laughs> one quick tip, if I could share with you, is to get a CRM. And and put in all the details of of these contractors into the CRM, and really that way you can you can stay in touch because it would be easy to lose touch with some of these people, um, some of the friends that you met. It, uh, we we exchange business cards and stuff and such, but it's easy to lose those over the years. So putting this into a digital CRM, um, and that's higher on my priorities now. Um, to be honest, I haven't chosen one yet. I've been going through and looking at them in the last few weeks, because this is going to be a powerful tool to help me, um, to help me keep in touch with the friends that I met. And you can make notes on who they are, what type of business they run and what you talked about. And then the next time you talk to them, you can, um, add on to that conversation. So, so that's what I wanted to say, friends. Uh, my wife had to leave the room here. Sorry about that, but that's basically everything that I wanted to say and get through here. So, Enjoy the tile money tip right now with Ron Nash, and that is sponsored by Lady Crete. And until next time, I uh, hope you're having a great, profitable week, friends. All right, tile friends. Today's uh, tile money tip is brought to you by Lady Crete, and I have Ron Nash here with me. Ron, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing really well, Luke. 
Good. Really well. So we want to dive right into this negotiation tip. Now, Ron, what makes a good negotiator? Okay, great. Tip number one, we're going to talk about the individual, you, as a person. What are qualities that make a good negotiator in a person? And before I even get into that, before we talk about any of that, I want to talk about some of the sources that I'm going to use throughout the rest of these trainings, because I don't want anybody to think that this is some sort of a fancy, you know, you have to have a Harvard education, you have to, you have to, you know, spend, you know, a master's degree in order to be good at that. That's not true. But what you do have to have are some personal qualities that will help you. Now, I, wanna, I, I went to my library, just for a visual aid, I went to my library, and I got all the books that I've studied in the last, you know, probably, let's call it 15 years, um, outside of courses, outside of other classes that I've taken, that talk about negotiation, and I pulled my favorites out. And I want to show you the, the size of wow. the stack of books, okay? Now, I'm going <laughs> to... so. Just so you know, I don't want anybody to think, oh, you know, Ron's making this stuff out of his head or I think I'm smarter than someone else. That's not the case. Um, I like to study business. I think it's very, very interesting. And I think that negotiation and deal making, as we said before, if you're good at it, you're going to create relationships of long-term success. And I'm interested in helping you guys, my partners, make long-term success. Does that align with your thoughts, Luke? Yeah, that's perfect. I love it. Okay. Now, I also took a picture of all these spines of these books. I sent them to Luke. He'll he'll show you. But you're going to be surprised by some of them. Mm-hmm. Like, check this out. I have the teachings of Buddha. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you you may be surprised where you get source information. You may be surprised what gives you ideas. Right. I now, I also have uh, the negotiating game, and I've got you know. Um, give and take negotiations, how to become a rainmaker. Um, Anyway, the point is that there's a lot of sources, there's a lot of data out there. And the best part about this is self-improvement. Understand that you can learn this. You can get better at this. Um, Look at this. Beautiful copy. Sun Tzu, Art of War. Okay, so so I'm a big book guy. Um, I'm I'm a big reader and uh, everybody who works with me knows they actually make fun of me about it. So I, I, I've n- I always tell people I've never had an original thought in my life. Hmm. Um, someone else has already thought of it. I just like to help reuse it. So having said that is my disclaimer. And that's the last time you're going to hear it. For the rest of the tips, we're going to go right into it. All right. Um, what makes a good negotiator? Okay, first of all, this is a personal rule. And, and when I tell my people this, I say, Ron Nash, rule number one, and if you ask any of my sales reps, hopefully they'll be able to tell you this. Thou shalt be liked. Likeability is the number one key to success in business. And really, if you think about it in life, people just generally gravitate towards people that they like. Very true. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I know it sounds crazy, but no no amount of skill if you're a jerk to people, no amount of skill is going to help you get over that. Yeah. So especially when you start talking about creating proposals and deals that help people and relationships that last and grow a business, you have to be likable. The second thing is stamina. 
Um, in negotiation and pricing, especially when you're delivering pricing to a customer or you're buying something, the person with the stamina to stick with it, to keep a good energy throughout the whole um, process, the, to uh, not get bogged down and tired, they're going to do a lot better. Um, it's a lot about mental fortitude too, because I've done deals very, very, very complicated months to come to fruition that were very powerful, but you get fatigue in the middle of it. So stamina is a big deal. Okay. Third principle, preparation. You can hardly, you can't prep, prep enough. We're going to talk in other modules about power positions and how to gain more power in a relationship, okay. but preparation and the ability to plan pricing, plan how you're going to present pricing, plan how you're going to talk about how the job costs, what jobs cost, those kind of things. That's a really big key. I find a weakness in a lot of people is that they show up and they just kind of wing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I will tell you, that's easy. Yeah. But I will win eight times more or 10 times more than you will if I can prep before every meeting. That's a hard principle because it's not, people don't like to do it, but prepping is very important. Yeah. Interesting. Right, principle number four. Say that. I'll just interact, interject sure. real quick. Interesting you say that, Ron. Uh, just yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and the gentleman, I forget, uh, he was saying how two volleyball teams um, got together and they had a month. One played volleyball for a whole month against each other. The second volleyball team only practiced theory. In other words, throwing the ball up, serving, but not playing games. So yeah. just practice for a whole month. They played a game and the guess who won without, it wasn't even a contest. The, the team who practiced, they didn't even 100%. play. Yeah. Okay. I'll let 100%. You keep going. Very good. All right. So the next principle, principle number four, knowledge of your trade, knowledge of product. I, we, we spend millions, literally millions of dollars at Laticrete every year trying to teach people, helping people understand. And the reason we do that is because the more knowledge that you have of using our materials, so the higher the likelihood is you're going to buy them. Okay, that's good um, for us selfishly, I guess. But also, we know that our partners who buy our materials, the better prep they are, the more knowledge they have, the better their installations go, and the more profitable those businesses are as well. Very cool. So that's an example, by the way, I want to I stop real quick. That what I just said is an example of a win-win. Mm -hmm. We win when you, when you learn because you buy our stuff. That's, that's obvious there. But you win when you learn because you make better deals with your end customers. Win-win. We'll come back to that idea later, but I just wanted to highlight that. Perfect. All right. Reliability. People like to do business with people who are reliable. Um, I can't tell you how <laughs> showing up late, <laughs> sloppy, promising a proposal on a certain date, and then missing that date, that all degrades reliability. So reliable is a big thing. Dedication. Dedication to the craft, de dedication to your business. If you have dedication, it shows through in your in your your spirit. You know, it, it shows that you want to have the deal and you want to do the deal really well. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's principle six. Principle seven: problem solving skills. Mm -hmm. 
you will do better in business if you're a problem solving, problem solver. And I'll highlight some guys that I know. Um, Rod Catwick. I, I like I like to talk about Rod because he's a creative thinker. Yeah. But he's a tinkerer and a problem solver. And because he solves problems, he's got a group of customers that do nothing but come to him because they know if they bring them problems, he'll figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. And so that's a principle of success, really. Is. Beautiful. And then uh, eight, individual initiative. Okay, so here's the thing. People will gravitate towards you if you're a problem solver, but also if you take initiative for them in order to make things happen. So to sum up really quickly, these are eight points to make the, make the tip a little shorter here. Eight points. One, be liked, be likable. Two, stamina. Be in it for the long haul. Three, preparation and planning. You can't do enough. Four, knowledge of your craft, knowledge of the trade, knowledge of product. Really important. Five, reliability. Six, dedication. Seven, problem-solving skills. Eight, individual initiative. So there you go. There's, There's our first tip. Yeah, no, this is perfect. Uh, I'm I'm really digging it. And friends, so again, this is the first tip of a series on negotiation. So next week, or in, uh, excuse me, the next episode, you're going to hear the tip is going to be uh, the four modes of negotiation. So look forward to that in the next episode. All right, I have on. a sinking suspicion that I'm going to be wearing the same shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, see you on the next one. Okay.